Hi, everyone joining us for another episode in a podcast series about uh, human rights in the 21st century. My name is Natasha Brischke, and I am recording this series with Alias Pango Bitens. Hi, Natasha. Always glad to be here with you. Human rights are a cornerstone of European integration and one of the world's most important values, its democratic heritage and it's conscious. Uh, the protection of human rights symbolizes a beacon of hope, a call for action, setting a high standard by which we judge the extent of our generosity, the depth of our compassion and the breadth of our humanity. In 2018, the world celebrated the 70th Uh, 70th anniversary of the UDHR and the 65th anniversary of the European Convention on Human Rights. And we have a very, very special guest. Uh, this time it's Andreas Potakis, Greek Ombudsman. Uh, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me for your uh, uh, very polite invitation. Um, we are totally looking forward to uh, this conversation. And let us start uh, with the question about the challenges on the level of human rights around Europe. Uh, what's your take on it? And of course, we are especially interested to hear specifics uh, of countries such as Spain and especially a country uh, like Greece, your country. So what would you say? Well, um, I would say that there is uh, there are different uh, types and levels of uh, human rights challenges uh, that we are facing in Europe. Uh, I could categorize them into challenges and um, uh, developments uh, that may be of some concern, that concerns all European countries. Uh, for instance, to give you an example, um, the transformation of uh, what we have been terming uh, um, as the post-war, World War state, that has been going on with uh, an ever-increasing uh, speed in the course of the last decade or so, has produced a number of challenges for human rights protection in the sense that, um, to a great extent, to a large extent, uh, the state is transforming uh, progressively from uh, a service and goods provider, uh, as it was in the past during the so-called um, high times of the welfare state, to um, uh, mostly a regulator uh, or at least a, a fund manager that is hiring services that it provides to its citizens through the private sector. So this is a major transformation that causes new uh, sort of uh, points of interest for human rights protectors, uh, how the mixing and matching of the uh, state or the public sector duties vis-a-vis -vis citizens are being met through uh, private uh, sector services that are being uh, uh, made use of. Um, there are, of course, a number of other speci more specific uh, human rights uh, concerns or challenges that are more evident in um, specific areas of Europe. You mentioned Spain and Greece. I could um, give you an example of a number of a, 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 a type of challenge, a very uh, vivid type of challenge that has been brought about in the course of the last uh, five to six years, especially since the massive uh, wave of mixed uh, uh, population flows since 2015, and that is the challenges posed to human rights protection and respect of fundamental rights 
by the massive movement of populations, uh, the migration and uh, refugee uh, uh, events that have taken place in the course of the last five to six years. This has been more evident in the countries of the periphery of Europe, the countries that hold the external borders of Europe, like Spain, like Greece, like Italy, um, or at least it has been seen, it has been understood as a different type of challenge than uh, what uh, perhaps societies in other countries of Europe uh, perceive it, uh, like Slovenia or like uh, Central European countries like Austria or Germany. So there are different perceptions of the challenges that the massive migration of mixed flows of population has brought about in Europe. So there are different types. Of course, there's another uh, um, more recent uh, development, more recent event that has again brought about a series of uh, varying uh, uh, challenges at different levels, and that is the pandemic. This has had an effect on all societies in Europe and on all public administrations, of course. The prolonged recession in Greece has had a profound impact on the country and its society. What's your view of this, especially its effects on the social system and the welfare state? Well, it is a matter of fact uh, that uh, Greece has had to deal with uh, a series of crises in the course of the last uh, decade or so, both Greek society and the Greek public administration uh, at large. Um, The prolonged recession that you are referring to concerns the uh, rather violent Uh, fiscal uh, adjustment programs that have been uh, uh, imposed on Greece uh, since 2010 uh, with a view to uh, somehow managing its uh, fiscal situation, its uh, huge debt and uh, balancing the budget of the Greek economy, of the Greek state economy. Now, uh, clearly this has had a, a a very important effect on not only the performance of public administration when it comes to services included in what we traditionally understand uh, as the welfare state, and I'm referring to not only cuts in pensions, benefits for more vulnerable groups, etc., but I'm also referring to a shrinking of the public administration at large, a shrinking in terms of numbers of employees, of public sector, public servants, but also a shrinking in terms of the entire uh, services and bodies and offices. Um, that also has an effect, a wider effect beyond the welfare system. It also has an effect in the regulatory capacity of uh, the state. I take it for, uh, I have mentioned it already, that um, as the notion of the state is transforming, and it should be transforming, it is a dynamic institution, the state, um, all the more emphasis is placed on its regulatory uh, uh, role uh, uh, on the economy rather than uh, it becoming one of the service providers or one of the goods providers. Now, through the uh, fiscal adjustment programs that were Uh, imposed on Greece, as I mentioned, in the course of the last decade, or more than a decade already, uh, even the regulatory role performed by the state has been, to a certain extent, weakened. uh, And this has had an effect also on uh, the competitiveness of the Greek economy, and also on uh, respecting and upholding uh, fair competition rules within the Greek economy. Um, Now, 
we would also like to hear your take or uh, your overview on the price of COVID-19. It's been a year and a half. It Actually, it's going to be two years almost that uh, we are living through uh, this pandemic times. What was the price in terms of uh, how it uh, sort of damaged the youth and education system? Affected, not damaged. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the COVID pandemic has been uh, detrimental to the, all the societies, all the peoples in Europe. I would say around the world. Um, uh, it is. It is true, and I think it is uh, a, a matter of a fact that uh, it has had a, a higher impact on both uh, the elderly and also the youth. Uh, for the youth, we have made uh, a number of uh, studies and uh, <clears throat> investigations along with uh, the support of um, uh, uh, scientific experts where we have um, uh, realized that there is a, a, a very a, in, important and worrying increase in uh, mental uh, problems uh, that the youth is facing because of the pandemic, because of the COVID-19, because of the fact that their daily routines, their daily lives, their daily social relationships and their participation in the educational system, of course, which is, plays a very vital role for, for under uh, 18, uh, the youth, um, has had on them. Uh, we have, uh, for instance, uh, recorded a number of dropouts from the school uh, due to the fact that um, the school for, for more than a year, at least in Greece, has been conducted virtually <coughs> at all uh, levels, primary and secondary education, but also uh, university education. So we have realized that there are a lot of dropouts, a lot of absentees, an increase in absences from a school, even during the periods that school was open. Uh, we have uh, noticed a number of uh, uh, serious and persistent, as we have been uh, told by the experts, uh, mental uh, uh, conditions that uh, our youth have um, have exemplified during the pandemic crisis and are most more than likely to have to deal with them for a prolonged period of time in order to overcome them. Um, it is a difficult period for all of us. It has been even more striking, even more difficult for those of us who are uh, classified as uh, the most vulnerable within a society. Yes, exactly. Uh, because on the other side of the equation are the pension system and care for the elderly. Uh, in your view, how has this fared, all things considered? Well, yes, this has been an effect, this has been um, the result of what I mentioned earlier, the prolonged fiscal adjustment programs that have been put in place in Greece for more than a decade now. Um, uh, there have been... Um, uh, very, very uh, important uh, cuts in the pensions of uh, the elderly, uh, amounting to, uh, in some cases, even more than 40 to 50 percent cuts. Uh, this has had, a, understandably, I suppose, a very important effect on their uh, quality of life. Uh, such a, an abrupt, such a sudden change of their means of living uh, inevitably has an effect on their quality of life, on their access to important services to them. Um, it is not only the pension system that has been hit by the prolonged recession, it is also uh, the uh, 
healthcare system and the services provided by the healthcare system that have been uh, affected as well. And so the elderly have found themselves in a very difficult predicament even before the COVID pandemic. Now, uh, if one is to add also the impact of uh, the COVID pandemic uh, on the lives of the elderly, one understands that uh, their life has been uh, anything but easy in the course of the last year, year and a half. And I'm referring also to uh, the need to protect them and therefore to somehow keep them uh, uh, isolated or keep them protected and safe uh, with uh, restricted uh, freedom of movement and uh, very limited access uh, to the essential services that the elderly people are in need of. What we have, for instance, uh, identified uh, as the Ombudsman Institution in Greece is the lack of very useful, very essential services um, uh, that could have been provided to elderly people living living in uh, uh, institutions. Uh, for instance, given the fact that there was a complete ban of visitors and visiting hours for people who are living in uh, institutional uh, facilities for the elderly, uh, this was not uh, remedied, this was not somehow counterbalanced by uh, providing them with the necessary means to have virtual access with their loved ones or with their family members. And this has had an effect also on their mental uh, condition. Uh, you touched it a bit, uh, the health services I have in mind. Uh, the COVID-19, at least in Slovenia, that was the case, renewed uh, discussions and conversations about the access to health services and, and other similar services. Uh, when you add the recession uh, to that, uh, what would you say is uh, the state of health services uh, in, in Greece? Well, <laughs> that's a difficult question to answer, um, or at least to, to summarize uh, uh, for the purposes of our discussion. Um, again, I think I will start by saying that I totally uh, understand, and in fact I support, uh, the fact that um, state structures, the public administration, the public sector, is and has to be in a constantly dynamic state. So what we are witnessing, even before the COVID pandemic, is a shrinking of the uh, services uh, uh, that the state used to manage, to operate, uh, that were providing goods and services, uh, and an ever-increasing uh, expansion of the role of the state as a fund manager. So. Uh, uh, managing the taxes that it receives from all of us citizens in order to provide the best possible services to them, irrespective of whether these services are being provided by public uh, sector entities or private, uh, private law entities. Um, so what we have uh, also experienced, if I may call it this way, in Greece, is this transformation when it comes to the national healthcare system. We are... Um, we, we witness um, a reduction of uh, national healthcare institutions that belong to the state and are being made available to the citizens and a progressive uh, expansion of um, the state into hiring or buying services by the private sector in order to 
uh, offer them to uh, pensioners, uh, to uh, uh, employees. Now, during the pandemic, um, things were uh, definitely uh, a bit difficult in the sense that uh, the pandemic raised the bar at a very high level in terms of the demand to the system and in terms of the need of uh, preparedness of the system. It was truly unexpected and the levels of demand and preparedness were, uh, to a certain extent, very difficult to match, very difficult to meet for any public administration, including the Greek public administration that I think we agreed already was already at a difficult, at a dire uh, sort of condition due to its uh, prolonged economic recession. Uh, what we are, for instance, now debating in Greece is whether there has to be a, a, a strengthening of our national healthcare system by uh, the infusion of uh, more personnel. Uh, I note and I inform our audience that uh, for more than 10 years, um, new personnel was not being introduced in the national healthcare system, uh, and that was the case for the entirety of the public sector. Uh, as I mentioned, there was an attempt to shrink, to uh, reduce the, the span of the public administration altogether due to the fact that uh, our uh, state budget, our public budget, had to be balanced and it had to be balanced in a quite violent way from one year to the other. So the challenges brought to the national healthcare system during the pandemic have been have been great. I think they have been similar to the challenges that uh, we have uh, witnessed in other countries, neighboring countries like uh, uh, Italy or Spain. Uh, but the problem in Greece is that our public health care system was already not at the level of preparedness and uh, uh, that could have been due to the fact that there was, we are coming through a, a, a very prolonged recession period, a very prolonged uh, fiscal uh, adjustment period, where funds uh, to the public se sector, funds uh, to the public national healthcare system were uh, quite considerably uh, reduced in the course of the last few years. Now, the Greek Ombudsman is an independent authority in Greece and you have a wide-ranging mandate, including combating all kinds of discrimination and promoting equal treatment, regardless of uh, gender, racial or ethnic origins, religion or belief systems and so on. Uh, how would you assess the state of equal treatment and gender rights in Greece? Well, uh, indeed, the Greek Ombudsman also plays the role of the equality body for Greece. We are the certified and um, mandated uh, independent authority that monitors uh, the state of uh, uh, non-discrimination, of equality uh, um, across the sectors of uh, the economy, of society, uh, etc. Uh, I would say that, <clears throat> especially when it comes to gender equality, uh, I think that um, I must admit that my impression is that uh, I think we have reached the limits <clears throat> of um, what the present sort of set of policies being applied uh, at a, not just in Greece, but uh, at a European uh, level uh, at large or perhaps even globally. Uh, I think we have reached the limits of what these policies can offer us when it comes to 
streamlining gender inequality. Um, I will give you an example or a couple, if I may. I think that up until recently, we were very happy and very supportive of a number of measures that aimed clearly, directly, at uh, protecting uh, one or the other gender uh, so as to give it a sort of a positive discriminatory sort of uh, protection uh, vis-à-vis the other uh, sex. Um, For example, uh, in Greece, like in many other countries, I presume, uh, there are much greater uh, leaves for uh, pregnant women uh, and for young mothers, leaves from work, both in the private and in the public sector, than they are for uh, fathers, for young fathers. This has been termed as a a very uh, important policy in order to control, uh, to boost our demographics as societies. This, uh, unfortunately, it seems to me now that it somehow has already reached its limits and we have to reconsider the way we protect uh, uh, gender uh, equality in this respect by uh, somehow bringing the gap between the uh, benefits that are afforded to women, uh, to young mothers, uh, closer to the benefits that are afforded to young fathers. And this is because even though we feel that in by offering a, a long, a prolonged period of protection for young mothers from being uh, fired, right, from being dismissed, uh, we uh, are protect, we are promoting the chances of having a, a healthy demographic uh, progression. What we have realized, what we are now witnessing, is that the market recognizes that uh, there is a discrepancy here, there is a a disparity here between women and men, and given the fact that women have this level of protection, they are less likely to be hired in the first place by uh, employers rather than men. So instead of protecting young mothers, we are now in the we are now realizing that we are might be harming the chances of all women having an equally uh, motivating and equally interesting uh, uh, career, uh, working career. So we need to reconsider. Another example I can give you is um, the quotas. Uh, that was a, a very uh, popular practice in the 80s and 90s and perhaps even even up until now, the quotas that were uh, put for the representation of women on a variety of areas, from uh, the political life, from political parties, or even from uh, representation in uh, specific political bodies, to uh, uh, the labor the labor market. So we were witnessing and we were investigating and we were monitoring to what extent, for instance, uh, women were uh, achieving high positions, managerial positions in the private sector. Or we were monitoring to what extent women were being elected in local, regional or national uh, assemblies and bodies. Um, or having the opportunity of being rep- uh, of participating in the executive sector, uh, the executive branch of, of government. 
Uh, I think also this idea of the, the quota system again has reached its limits. We, what we at least in the south, I think in Greece, definitely we are, are witnessing is that there, this model of uh, quotas uh, in order to protect Uh, a, a minimum level of participation of women uh, in all those activities has backfired. Uh, and um, it is no longer uh, uh, an incentive uh, for women to, to be more proactive. It is rather um, uh, working uh, against their interests. So there are a number of things that I believe um, we need to admit, we need to realize that have been bringing results in the past. They were very useful as tools, as instruments, as policies, but we now need to start reconsidering them uh, because life has changed, because the conditions have changed, and because we need to be always proactive when it comes to protecting gender uh, equality and generally protecting, uh, protecting the rights of all people. We need to adjust to the new reality. There is one Other thing that we are uh, witnessing uh, in Europe, and uh, these are the population movements and uh, the number of migration and asylum seekers is rising. So um, I'm wondering what are the effects of these flows on Greek society and at the same time, Uh, how are respected the rights of asylum seekers? And on top of that, uh, are you getting sufficient uh, support from the, the EU in terms of uh, bigger mi migration levels? Well, three very important questions you, you posed. Um, I will try to address them uh, in as quickly, uh, in as li limited a time as, as possible. Uh, I think that um, what we now can uh, assess when it comes to uh, the effects of the migration and refugee flows to Greece in the course of the last five to six years is that um, the Greek society has uh, performed uh, in general uh, very mature, maturely Uh, and in fact incredibly uh, uh, restrained uh, given the circumstances. I will try to explain. Um, it is uh, an extraordinary event that uh, uh, in a course of less than a year more than one million people enter a country of roughly 10-11 million registered uh, uh, population. Uh, it is um, It is something that no administration can uh, handle, can manage, and it has proven so uh, in the course of the 2015-2016 uh, eruption of the uh, flows of third country nationals into Greece. Uh, it was impossible to process uh, the applications of third country nationals seeking some form of international protection, whether asylum or secondary international protection, in good time. And this would, would have been the case, I think, for any public administration. The numbers, the figures were uh, incredible, uh, unmanageable. Now, in the, after the 2015-2016 um, sort of crisis, if one may call it this way, uh, there was a progressive uh, sort of uh, deterioration of the uh, number of third country national centers in Greece and uh, a, a more or less... 
stable flow rather than this incredible, as I mentioned, the eruption of 2015-2016, a stable flow of third country national center in Greece. And yet, again, Greek administration, public administration, proved um, insufficient and weak in terms of meeting the standards that one would have expected of a European public administration, of an EU member state. Uh, the delays in processing applications were quite uh, vivid, quite uh, remarkable. The conditions, the living conditions of third country nationals, especially asylum seekers, that is those, who, uh, the people who have applied for some form of protection and are, and are waiting for their application to be processed, uh, have been uh, substandard uh, conditions uh, uh, in, in uh, that we have had, uh, we have been played host to some of the most notorious uh, centers, um, uh, reception and identification centers, the so-called hotspots um, uh, in Greece, uh, where the conditions, the living conditions, were definitely substandard and nothing to make us proud as European citizens or as members of uh, our common political uh, institution, the European Union. Um, When it comes to the Greek society, what I, I think is remarkable, and that's why I mentioned that their uh, general sort of uh, reaction to the whole phenomenon has been quite mature so far, uh, is that um, the problem is that there is, no, or there is no apparent, or there seems not to be an apparent uh, plan. Uh, and this is what is felt by the Greek society. They don't see uh, sort of uh, any... Con concerted, comprehensive plan on how to deal with the phenomenon of movement of population. I, I emphasize the fact that it is a phenomenon because this is uh, not something that will go away. There will be, uh, apart from conflicts that uh, are erupting uh, across our wider neighborhood, uh, a number of other reasons a number of other uh, changes, both in the climate and also in the economy and the demographics of certain areas, more particularly Africa, will uh, inevitably uh, create new waves of third country nationals wishing to enter the European Union, waves of migrants who will not be able to, make, to remain in their country either because Uh, of economic reasons or because of climate reasons or because of simple demographic reasons. There are countries in Africa that will, in the course of the next 20 to 30 years, double their population size. So it will be unmanageable for their countries to keep all the population within the territory. So uh, for the Greek society, the problem has always been that uh, we, they don't see a plan. Uh, they don't see something with um, a measurable uh, milestones of meeting certain milestones of managing the, the phenomenon. They feel that uh, the Greek administration and to a great extent also the executive branch government is being swayed depending on the increase or decrease of the flows of uh, third country nationals wishing to enter Greece. When the flows are relatively low, as is the case, for instance, now during the pandemic, where we don't have many incoming third country nationals, things become slightly more manageable. When the flows are increasing, and not necessarily to a very great extent, things again become completely unmanageable. We again have delays and we have 
the conditions, the living conditions offered to those third country nationals and the services that one every country has to provide to them uh, missing. So when it comes to the Greek society, I think this is what they are missing, this is what they don't see, and this is why uh, this is what uh, uh, is the main concern to them. Uh, as for the European Union, I think that um, now there is a lot of to, to be said on this respect. Uh, of course, the European Union has opted to a great extent to offer its assistance and express um, sort of uh, what we would term uh, uh, its solidarity by uh, offering financial assistance to Greece and to other countries in order to uh, somehow uh, improve their capacity in dealing with the migration and refugee flows. Um, to a certain extent, this has been uh, ne absolutely necessary, but unfortunately it has not been uh, uh, monitored appro appropriately and accordingly. And I note, for instance, the reports that have been issued by the European Court of Auditors, where they remark a number of discrepancies in the use, or may I say abuse, of EU funds when it comes to uh, the management of migration and refugee flows in a number of countries, including Greece. Um, now, the future, uh, what lies ahead, if I may call it this way, is uh, the conclusion of the negotiations of the new Pact on Asylum and Migration, which I hope will be uh, finalized soon. Um, I see there, I notice there, uh, the efforts, uh, a, a, a policy, let's say, a trend in the policy of the European Union uh, to uh, become uh, stricter when it comes to dealing with third country nationals wishing to enter the European Union. Uh, I see that also there is a, an ever-growing discussion and debate uh, at various European Union uh, fora involving even more countries than uh, perhaps a few years ago, where uh, the argument is for lesser European Union policies on that matter, for lesser unified approaches and uh, attempts to address the phenomenon, and more flexibility given to member states, to each of the individual countries within the European Union, to uh, design and implement their own policies. This, I think, might be a very dangerous uh, road to follow. Uh, Mr. Andreas Potakis, the Greek Ombudsman, uh, thank you again for your time and for sharing with us the challenges the Greek society is facing uh, when it comes to human rights questions, and uh, there are many. We wish you and your team all the best, and thank you again for being our guest. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have this very interesting debate.